John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10. If you're visiting with us this morning and didn't carry a Bible into this place, there should be one in the seat in front of you somewhere. You're welcome to follow along with that. And if you would like to, you're welcome to take it with you as our gift to you. John chapter 10. I'm just going to read a few verses starting in verse number 7. I want to speak to you this morning, oddly enough, on the fact that he is alive. Or, subtitle, The Staggering Implication of Easter. John chapter 10, verse number 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful again for this day. We're thankful for this good group that's here. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me. Help me to say only what I should and nothing I should not uh, I pray, Father, that uh, you would, uh, you would uh, just fill me with your spirit, that I would uh, feel these truths and, and just be able to speak them well. And I, I pray, Father, for all of us, that you give us ears to hear, hearts uh, that would be open to your word, minds to understand. Just help, Lord, today for all of this to be real to us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not possible, is it? I mean, that death can be swallowed up in life. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty unbelievable, right? Isaiah said, who has believed our report in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 1? Indeed. Who, who really can believe such a thing? Kathy and I watched a, uh, an Easter video just the other day. It's a, a movie. I was mentioning it to the elders before the service this morning. It's one I've seen before and one that I find interesting because it, it addresses the Easter story in a completely different way from a different perspective. The movie is called Risen. How many of you have seen that particular movie, Risen? And it's told from the perspective of a Roman tribune who was given the, the responsibility by Pilate. Of course, it's a fictional story, but he was given the responsibility by Pilate to find the body of Jesus. Because without that body, uh, Christianity was a thing. And so he was trying to nip it in the buds. And uh, the whole story is interesting because it, it tells it from his perspective. And he's trying to find the disciples. And he's trying to prove that, that Jesus Christ really is not alive. And there is one particular scene in there. Well, there's a couple that are really good ones. But there's one particular scene where he finally finds the disciples in, a, in an upper room. And he goes into the room and he pushes the door open and he looks in. And there they're all sitting around the table. And right at the head of the table is Jesus. And he recognized Jesus because he'd been looking him right in the face when he died. And he sees him now alive. And Flavius, I believe was his name, just kind of sank to the floor. And he uttered four words that I think probably most of us would have uttered at that particular moment. And I think maybe some in this room today are uttering even now. Four words. How can this be? How can it be? It's impossible, right? The dead don't come back to life, do they? But Jesus did. Hallelujah. You do know the story, right? Let me, let me just share the story with you very, very quickly. Jesus had been arrested by his enemies. He'd been tried in a series of mock trials before both the Jews and the Romans. He'd been beaten. He'd been scourged by the Romans. He'd been rejected by the Jews who chose the murderer Barabbas over him when they were given 
that opportunity. And finally, he had been led away to be crucified. Crucified means he was nailed through the hands and the feet to a cross of wood. He hung on that cross for six hours, and then he died. He was taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea, who donated the tomb he had prepared for his own burial, where they laid the body of Jesus. A huge stone was rolled over the door. The Jewish leaders, still not satisfied, even though he was dead, demanded the tomb be sealed and guarded, and it was. But it wasn't enough to stop what happened next. Because Jesus laid in the tomb the remainder of Friday, all of Saturday, and the beginning of Sunday. And then on that third day, the stone literally flew away. At least I think that's what happened. It flew away from the door. And Jesus stepped forth alive. Alive! The soldiers guarding the tomb saw him alive. The women who came to the tomb early that day to attend to the body saw him alive The disciples, hiding and cowering in fear because they thought him dead, saw him alive. Many people saw him alive in the days that followed. At one point, over 500 people saw him alive at the same time. Jesus had been dead. Jesus was now alive. Jesus had been entombed. And now he had stepped out of that tomb alive. That's what happened. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that human authors made up. It is a fact of history that cannot be denied. These things, this thing really happened. Say that with me. This thing really happened. Say it again. This thing really happened. B.F. Westcott said, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no single historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty amazing statement. John Singleton Copley, one of the great legal minds in British history and three times High Chancellor of England, wrote, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you, such evidence as that for the resurrection has never broken down yet. Amazing. Dr. Gary Habermas said there are two pieces of evidence necessary to prove the resurrection really happened. First, he said, did Jesus die on the cross? And second, did he appear later to people? If you can establish those two things, you've made your case, because dead people don't normally do that. This thing really happened. And that leaves us with a pretty humongous implication, don't you think? And the implication is this. He is alive. He is alive. Say that one with me. He is alive. Let your brain cogitate on that fact for just a moment. And let your brain think about what it means to you. You see, in the text that I read just a moment ago, which is not normally an Easter text. It's not something we would normally preach from on Easter. But then some of you only come on Easter and you always hear the exact same scriptures. So I thought I'd pull a whammy on you this morning and give you something you don't normally hear. But nonetheless, I think in that passage, Jesus gives us a pretty good explanation of what all this means. He said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That they may have life. You see, death was not the goal. We had our Good Friday service here just just this Friday. And on Good Friday, it no doubt looked like the thing had ended in death, didn't it? And that was the goal of crucifixion, right? The reason they nailed people to a cross 
was that they might die. Volumes have been written describing the horrible death that resulted from that method of execution. Some would say that mankind has never come up with a more horrendous way to execute someone. People just simply did not live through crucifixion. Usually it was a long and lingering death. There are historical records indicating that sometimes people hung on that cross for days before they finally died. In Jesus' case, it only took six hours. Six hours. The Gospel of Mark tells us it was the third hour when they crucified him, Mark 15:25. Matthew says that from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So from the third hour to the ninth hour, the third hour mentioned there in Mark would be 9 o'clock in the morning. The Jews reckoned time from sunup to sundown, or 6 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. at night. So 9 o'clock in the morning would be the third hour. The sixth hour would therefore be noon. The ninth hour would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Six hours was long enough for Jesus to pay the penalty for every sin that you and I would ever commit. The sins of the whole world. To boot. And at the end of that six hours, when the ninth hour came and went, anybody examining Jesus at that moment would easily conclude he was dead. Dead. The Romans examined him. They determined he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both Jewish believers, retrieved his body from the cross, and they entombed it in Joseph's tomb. They wrapped the body like a cocoon in in uh, strips of cloth that were impregnated with perfume and, and, and chemicals. And, and that process would have given ample opportunity for them to examine the body and determine whether or not he was dead. He was dead. And as they laid the corpse in the tomb, rolled the stone over the entrance of the tomb, and hurried away to their Sabbath observances which were upon them, there was simply no doubt in anybody's mind at that moment, Jesus Christ was dead. Somewhere in my library I have a book called The Passover Plot. I think I've probably mentioned it before. It's an old book now. I probably actually don't have it in my library anymore because somewhere along the line I probably flung it across the room or burned it or something like that because it was such a trash book. But uh, basically the Passover Plot presented this theory that Jesus Christ really wasn't dead on the cross, that when he was taken down from the cross he had just kind of fainted. And they wrapped him up and they put him in the tomb and the coolness of the tomb revived him. And he came out of the tomb. Now think about that for a few moments. It's so ludicrous it doesn't bear much discussion. But, I mean, think about that. Uh, what this person was postulating then was that Jesus Christ, after having been scourged almost to death, beaten almost to death, a crown of horns pressed into his thorns, pressed into his head, such that almost every drop of blood was removed from his body, having hung on a cross for six hours and then wrapped up like a cocoon in, in, in sticky, gooey goop that would have just put his arms and his legs down to his side, somehow managed to come back to life, pull that off of him, and push aside a stone that uh, all the women who came the next morning collectively could not even budge. It's nonsense. The fact is Jesus was dead when he was laid in that tomb. There was no doubt in anybody's mind when Friday came to an end that Jesus was dead. And then Saturday came, and I think Saturday may, may well be the worst day. I think Saturday would have been a terrible day. I mean, think about this. I wrote about... The experience of losing my wife in, uh, in a little booklet that many of you read. In, in the very beginning of that, let me just share just something that I wrote in there because I think it applies here. On September 18th, my wife died. It was sudden. There had been no warning. 
Beth was healthy and happy one minute, and the next she was gone. A week later, I sat down in my empty house for the first time post-funeral. The frenetic activity of the days since her death had been all that occupied my mind, but now that was over, and there in the silence of that once so joyful home, the realization came crashing over me like breakers that she had died, she was dead, and she was gone. And I looked across the quiet room at the empty chair where she had so recently sat. Grief crushed me. Tears fell. I have never felt more alone. You know what I believe? I believe that the disciples on Saturday felt that. I think that's what Saturday was. All the activity of Friday was over. The whirlwind chaos of the crucifixion was over. The frantic preparation of his corpse for burial was over. The hasty placing of that body in the tomb Before the onset of Sabbath, all of that activity was over, and now all that was left was the silence of Saturday. And they awoke that day to a feeling, I think, similar to what I felt, to what others have felt, at such a loss, a crushing and agonizing realization that Jesus had died, he was dead, he was gone. On Friday they had seen him die, but on Saturday I think they felt him dead. But, here's the glory of it. Death was not the ultimate reason he came. Life was. Life was the plan. We oftentimes talk about the fact, and we hear people say that Jesus was born to die. Some have even suggested that the swaddling cloths that Mary wrapped Jesus in at his birth were a foreshadowing of those same cloths that would be wrapped around him in his burial. And maybe that's the case. But death was not the goal. Death was the means to the goal, not the goal itself. Life Life was always the goal. Your life, my life was always the goal. Notice what he said again in John chapter 10 and verse 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Matthew chapter 18, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. John 3.17, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He died to pay your debt. He died to make a way for you to be saved so that you might have life. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He died and he gave his life for the sheep so that they could live life. His goal was life, your life, abundant life, eternal life, everlasting life, never-ending life, forever life, complete life, perfect life, life such as none of us can even Imagine, I don't think. And that's the staggering implication of the resurrection. Life. Billy Graham said the resurrection is our great hope. The resurrection blasts apart the finality of death, providing an alternative to the stifling, settling dust of death and opens the way to new life. I cannot help but think of a book that many of you have read. There's been a movie made of it recently. It was written by Lee Strobel. It's called The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel was a journalist who uh, his wife got saved. Lee was an atheist. He didn't like that idea that his wife had gotten saved. And so he set out on a task to try to disprove Christianity. And there's been several who have done this. It's always a dangerous thing to try to do because most people who have gone down this road end up getting saved. And so did Lee. But uh, along the way, being a journalist, he went through this scientific examination and he interviewed all kinds of different people to try to disprove uh, the resurrection of Christ and Christianity in general. 
And uh, one of the people he, he interviewed was somebody I quoted a minute ago. His name was Dr. Gary Habermas. He's written all kinds of books. He's a professor, Ph.D. Let me read you what Dr. Habermas said about his own personal experience of losing his wife to cancer. He said, I sat on our porch. My wife was upstairs dying. Except for a few weeks, she was home through it all. It was an awful time. This was the worst thing that could possibly happen. But do you know what was amazing? My students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances were, I had to smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own teaching. And second, it worked. As I would sit there, I'd picture Job, who went through all that terrible stuff and asked questions of God, but then God turned the tables and asked him a few questions. I knew that if God were to come to me, I'd ask only one question. Lord, why is Debbie up there in bed? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? I'd say, come on, Lord. I've written seven books on that topic. Of course he was raised from the dead, but I want to know about Debbie. I think he'd keep coming back to the same question. Did I raise my son from the dead? Did I raise my son from the dead? Until I got his point. The resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. And do you know what? It worked for me while I was sitting on the porch, and it still works today. It was a horribly emotional time for me. I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for her suffering. I still worried. I still wondered what I'd do raising our four kids alone, but there wasn't a time when that truth did not comfort me. Losing my wife was the most painful experience I've ever had to face, but if the resurrection could get me through that, it could get me through anything. It was good for 30 A.D., it's good for 1995, it's good for today, it's good beyond. That's not some sermon. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie was raised, then I will be someday too, and then I'll see them both. Well, that's a great quote. I mean, think about it. That is the staggering implication of his resurrection. The incredible, mind-numbing, preconception-shattering, staggering implication of Christ defeating death and rising from the dead is life. Abundant, free, life that can be mine, life that can be yours. Were it not for the fact that Jesus proved it possible by rising from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, we would think that absolutely preposterous. But he did it. And he proved it. Life, now I can have life. Life, now you can have life. But, if you want life, Jesus said you have to go through him. You have to go through him. He's the only one who's ever beaten death, you know. And so we probably ought to listen to what he has to say on the topic. He's the only one, he says, who can legitimately offer life to you. He said that he's the only way to life. Jesus said, and I read that in the passage I read earlier, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Another time he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you want the life that the resurrection makes available, you have to go through Jesus to get it. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The staggering implication 
of the resurrection is that you and I can have life, eternal life, salvation, forgiveness from our every sin, a relationship that lasts forever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But to get it, you must be born again. To get it, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. To get it, you must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You must believe it. And you must receive it, asking him for it. Oh, it is my prayer this morning that all who hear these words would do just that if you haven't already done so. That each and every one of you, whether you attend here all the time or whether you're visiting here today, would have the life that only Jesus can give you. The life that he died to give you. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. In Christ I died, in him I rose, in his life I live, in his victory I triumph. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection, my peace. That is the staggering implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you so much for the privilege that we've had to look just for a few moments this morning at your word. Lord, I didn't want to be long today, but at the same time, I wanted also to make sure that everyone understood what is the implication of what what we're celebrating here today. We've sung all these songs. We're going to sing yet again. We're rejoicing in the fact Jesus is alive. And yet, Father, the implication to us is very personal. It's very real. All of us can have the same life if we will but trust in Jesus. And so I pray today that you will guide us and help us and direct us right now in these last closing moments to think about this thing, to think of the implications of this thing, to apply it to our own hearts and lives. Lord, I know in a crowd of this size there's probably some here today who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. If they were to die this moment, they don't know if they would go to heaven. But yet, Father, they can, and I pray they would before this day is out. So guide in these few moments. Help us as we close our service. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name.